You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Sandworm was in Keevstar's network for months. Museums face online outages. MSysoft suggests a ransomware payment ban. An ambulance service suffers a data breach. Mandiant's social media gets hacked. GXC Team's latest offering in the C2C underground market. 23andMe blames their breach on password reuse. Lawyers are using outdated encryption. On today's Threat Vector segment, David Moulton chats with Garrett Boyd, senior consultant at Palo Alto Networks Unit 42, about the importance of internal training and mentorship in cybersecurity. And in Russia, holiday cheers turn to political jeers. It's Thursday, January 4th, 2024. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. We begin today with reports that Russia's sandworm was in Kyivstar's networks for at least seven months. Ilya Vityuk who leads Ukraine's SBU cybersecurity department, has told Reuters that the sandworm element of Russia's GRU had gained access to telecom provider Kyivstar's networks at least as long ago as May of 2023. Sandworm probably began its attempts against Kyivstar as early as March of that year. Its goal was collection, mostly of data on individual users of Kyivstar's services, followed in the last stages of the operation by destruction of data and disruption of services. A nominally hacktivist group, Solin Tjepsok, has claimed credit for the attack, but they're almost surely a GRU front. The effects of the attack on Kyivstar were severe and widespread, but mostly affected civilian users as opposed to military operations. The Ukrainian military doesn't make much tactical use of civilian telecoms. Vityuk sees the attack as a warning. He said, this attack is a big message, a big warning, not only to Ukraine, but for the whole Western world to understand that no one is actually untouchable. Kyivstar is a large, wealthy, private company, a subsidiary of the Netherlands multinational Vion, and it was by no means a soft target. 
Several prestigious museums have faced outages in displaying their collections online due to a cyber attack on Gallery Systems, a key service provider aiding hundreds of cultural institutions with digital displays and document management. Institutions like the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, Rubin Museum of Art, and Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art reported disruptions following the incident, first detected on December 28th, when Gallery Systems found its software encrypted and inoperative. Immediate isolation and investigation measures were taken, including engaging cybersecurity experts and notifying law enforcement. While some systems have been restored, others remain down, affecting access to critical internal documents like donor names, loan agreements, and artwork storage details. The attack highlights the growing threat to cultural organizations, with recent similar incidents at the British Library, Metropolitan Opera, and Philadelphia Orchestra, often due to ransomware groups. Museums hosting their databases independently, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Whitney Museum, reported no impact. In 2023, the U.S. was heavily targeted by ransomware attacks, with over 2,200 known incidents affecting hospitals, schools, governments, and private companies. A report by MSISoft Malware Lab presents a dire view of the situation, suggesting that despite various countermeasures, ransomware remains a prevalent threat, causing not only economic damage but also potentially endangering lives, particularly in healthcare settings. Indeed, the number of ransomware attacks on critical institutions like hospital systems and educational institutions has significantly increased over the past three years. The authors argue that the only effective solution to the ransomware crisis is to completely ban the payment of ransoms. They contend that ransomware is a profit-driven crime and making it unprofitable will lead to a drastic reduction in attacks. Security experts like Kevin Beaumont and Alan Liska support this view, acknowledging that while a ban on ransom payments might lead to a short-term increase in attacks, it's the only viable long-term solution. The report also notes the evolving nature of ransomware attacks, with threat actors employing more aggressive tactics and demanding increasingly higher ransoms. It underscores the fact that these are not mere disruptions but constitute a crisis with significant and far-reaching consequences. The report calls for urgent and decisive action to combat ransomware. It suggests that a ban on ransom payments, coupled with improved cybersecurity practices and international cooperation, is crucial to stemming the tide of this damaging and dangerous cybercrime wave. Transformative Healthcare, a Massachusetts-based company, reported a data breach affecting nearly 912,000 people. The breach, linked to Fallon Ambulance Services, which it acquired in 2018, was detected in April 2023, with unauthorized activity dating back to February. Compromised data includes names, addresses, social security numbers, medical details, and employment-related information. The company has offered two years of free identity protection to victims, and is under investigation by federal law enforcement and a national consumer rights law firm. The ambulance company had been shut down before the breach occurred, but the parent company had a legal obligation to retain copies of the records that were subsequently stolen. Cybersecurity firm Mandiant had its ex-Twitter account hijacked 
and used to impersonate the phantom crypto wallet, spreading a cryptocurrency scam. The attacker promoted a fake site offering free phantom tokens, leading users to install a fraudulent phantom wallet aimed at draining their cryptocurrency. The real phantom wallet has since warned users and disabled interaction with the scam site. The threat actor briefly used the account to troll Mendiant before the company regained control and began restoration efforts. ReSecurity has identified a cybercriminal group, GXC Team, known for creating tools aiding online banking theft and social engineering. Recently, they started selling an AI-powered tool for generating fake invoices to execute business email compromise attacks, replacing legitimate banking details in business transactions. This tool adds to their repertoire of fraudulent platforms, including phishing kits and payment data checkers. Genetic testing company 23andMe has attracted criticism for its response to a major data breach the company sustained in December, TechCrunch reports. The hackers gained initial access by brute-forcing the accounts of 14,000 customers, then gaining access to the data of 6.9 million users who had opted in to the service's DNA relatives feature. 23andMe's response to the breach has been widely perceived as victim-blaming. The company stated in an email to customers who are suing the company that, quote, users negligently recycled and failed to update their passwords following these past security incidents, which are unrelated to 23andMe. Therefore, the incident was not a result of 23andMe's alleged failure to maintain reasonable security measures. Hassan Zavari, one of the lawyers representing victims of the breach, told TechCrunch, 23andMe knew or should have known that many consumers use recycled passwords and thus that 23andMe should have implemented some of the many safeguards available to protect against credential stuffing, especially considering that 23andMe stores personally identifiable information, health information, and genetic information on its platform. And a quick program note, we discussed the 23andMe breach on this week's Hacking Humans podcast, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, thecyberwire.com. Software engineer Kate Sills has written an interesting blog post outlining how the International Criminal Court and the broader American legal and forensics community continue to use the outdated MD5 hashing algorithm, despite longstanding warnings against its use due to security vulnerabilities. In law, cryptographic hashing is crucial for verifying the identity and integrity of documents, but MD5's flaws can be exploited to create different documents with the same hash, undermining these protections. Kate Sills makes the case that the persistence in using MD5 is due to a combination of misunderstanding its flaws, inertia within the legal community, and a lack of awareness of better alternatives like SHA-3, the Post argues for an urgent shift to more secure hashing methods and a cultural change within the legal sector to embrace regular technological updates for maintaining the integrity and trustworthiness of legal processes. Tip of the hat to Medicurity's Cynthia Brumfield for sharing this story on Mastodon. Coming up after the break, on today's Threat Vector segment, 
David Moulton chats with Garrett Boyd, senior consultant at Palo Alto Networks Unit 42, about the importance of internal training and mentorship in cybersecurity. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Welcome to Threat Vector, a podcast where Unit 42 shares unique threat intelligence insights, new threat actor TTPs, and real-world case studies. Unit 42 has a global team of threat intelligence experts, incident responders, and proactive security consultants dedicated to safeguarding our digital world. I'm your host, David Moulton, Director of Thought Leadership for Unit 42. In today's episode, I'm going to talk with Garrett Boyd about the importance of internal training and mentorship in cybersecurity. Garrett is a senior consultant at Unit 42. Garrett's security career stretches back for more than a decade and is a former Marine and professor, someone that has a long history of service. In our conversation, we'll discuss the role internal training plays in preparing cybersecurity professionals and the importance of mentorship. Garrett will talk about how organizations can build cultures that encourage everyone to participate and how to use those relationships to advance careers. Let's get right into it. Garrett, what role does internal training play in preparing cybersecurity professionals for the challenges they'll face in our industry? 
Our industry is something that's ever-changing. And so the requirement for internal training allows for this idea of getting the baseline from zero to at least knowledgeable. So that way, every single person is a proactive member of the team. Without it, it's a race to try and put letters together, squares to squares, circles to circles. How does mentorship within an organization contribute to the professional growth and development of individuals pursuing a cybersecurity career? I think that mentorship, and and when we're talking about mentorship, we're talking about a dedicated relationship that's not just the supervisor-supervisee relationship. We're talking about true mentorship where someone is challenging individuals and the individuals working to meet rise to the challenge, uh, that kind of professional growth is something that we really want every organization to have because without that, you have drones that are they're not innovating. They're not thinking about the next step or the next threat in our case. And so we see things like uh, solar winds or the exchange vulnerabilities that happened over the last couple of years. And if people aren't challenged to meet those threats and challenged to find ways to defend against them and to recognize them, then we just have people that are there just waiting for an event to happen and they do the bare minimum. That challenge, that mentorship allows them to think beyond that initial triage and to think beyond and see the threats that are coming or the patterns that are associated. How can organizations create a culture that encourages both experienced and junior cybersecurity professionals to participate in those mentorship programs that you talk about? Organizations, um, just this has to be, that mentorship has to be something that is prevalent and a, almost a requirement. It can't be something that, oh, we'll get to it in the, in the, in the future. We have to be able to look for it and process it. And just this, again, I, I mentioned challenge in the last question, but if it's not part of that normal everyday culture, then the junior employees who are new to the career, new to the industry, really don't have the wherewithal to know like what's going on. And so the experienced individuals are the ones with the knowledge. They're the keeper of the keys. It's their responsibility to share that knowledge or we end up in a just continual cycle that there's not enough professionals out there. What advice would you give to aspiring cybersecurity professionals who want to make the most of internal training and mentorship opportunities to advance their careers? I firmly believe that it is the responsibility of those that have knowledge to share knowledge. But on the flip side, it is the responsibility of those that need leadership, that need more training, that need that mentorship to go and ask for it. Garrett, when you think about the times that you've mentored someone, can you tell me what you got out of those relationships? The, the thing that I think I, I've ever gotten from my mentorship is how to communicate complex issues in a way that is digestible by those who don't quite understand or have the same education level as I do. Um, I can specifically think of an instance of just trying to explain um, a, a kind of a complex case and being able to redirect it and present it in a way that they're like, okay, cool, I understand. Think back on the times that somebody has mentored you. Is there a moment that really stands out? I was in the military years ago and I remember getting promoted and one of the 
Marines I had at the time just was being completely obstinate. And after a little bit of a row with the individual, I was pulled aside by probably one of my best friends now, but at the time was my senior enlisted leader and pulled me aside and he taught me, hey, you praise in public and you punish it in private. And while I wasn't punishing this individual, I was definitely giving it a, a, a nice little chew, chewing out time. But if someone does something that's good, you tell the world about it. So that way they feel emboldened to be innovative and continue their good work. That is the role of a mentor. And that's what he did for me. What's the one thing you want our listeners to remember from this conversation? No one else is responsible for you. You're responsible for yourself. If you want leadership, if you want mentorship, you should go and get it. Ask somebody, talk to them. And if they say no, ask the next person. There are individuals like myself and that want to share their information. And they're more than willing to give their time. Uh, Unit 42 is full of people like this. There's not, I, I can reach, I can think of like just looking at my direct message list. All of them are individuals I've reached out to about something and they've given me an hour of their time. No one, for the most part, no one's going to say no because we all remember being new. So you are responsible for your knowledge. Garrett, thanks for sharing some of your own experiences and the value you gained from mentorship, along with your insights on how mentorship and training fosters innovation and prevents stagnation. You describe mentorship as a dedicated, challenging relationship beyond the usual supervisor-supervisee dynamic. I would love to hear from our guest about how mentorship has accelerated their careers. You can send me a note at threatvector at paloaltonetworks.com. We'll be back on the CyberWire daily in two weeks. In the meantime, stay secure, stay vigilant. Goodbye for now. That's Palo Alto Network's David Moulton and Garrett Boyd, Senior Consultant at Palo Alto Network's Unit 42. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, our international hijinks desk reports that a holiday display in Novgorod, Russia, was altered so that instead of spelling out Happy New Year, it displayed Glory to Ukraine. Police confiscated the LED display and charged the owners of the apartment with public actions aimed at discrediting the use of the armed forces of the Russian Federation. 
The record explains the wayward messaging as a firmware exploit developed in Ukraine during December and subsequently distributed to users of the decoration in Russia. The message was designed to switch at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve. It's hard luck for the hapless consumer, who after all must now appear in court after doing nothing more subversive than setting up an apparently innocent holiday sign that switched from holiday cheer to geopolitical jeer. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. A quick reminder that as you are setting new goals to boost your brand across the industry, we'd love to help you achieve those goals. We've got some unique opportunities complete with special incentives for 2024. So tell your marketing team to reach out. Send us a message to sales at thecyberwire.com or visit our website so we can connect about building a program to meet your goals. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Fittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.